Well, as has been mentioned, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 13, looking at the parable of the sower. And, of course, this is not going to work the way I wanted it to. Technology is great, but it really, really can slow you down sometimes. And I think the reason for its invention was to speed you up. <laughs> but, all right. All right, well, uh, I'm not going to get this thing to behave the way I want it to, uh, so we're going to just go ahead and get started. Uh, first of all, let me uh, tell you how happy I am to be here with you all. Uh, around December 25th, I was in the hospital, and to tell you the truth, I thought there was about one step between me and death. I didn't know if I'd ever see Boulevard Bible Chapel again. So when I tell you that I'm happy to be here, I mean that in all of its various ways that it can be taken. Uh, you know, and I know it's, it's, it's commonly heard by speakers who appear at any meeting to say, I'm happy to be here. I want to let you know I sincerely, truly, absolutely mean what I'm saying. You all are very special to me. Um, I long, while I'm in Korea, for the days where I used to be able to sit right over, somebody pointed it out, this is where you used to sit, and uh, it was, but it's, but it's, uh, it's wonderful, it was, it was a time of learning and growing, and uh, I had some great examples, Mr. Gus, uh, Malcolm, Aaron, others as well as elders, uh, modeling, you know, good behavior, and uh, I had opportunities to learn. I, I mentioned today to uh, uh, Howard Bosworth, I mentioned to him what, what an encouragement he was to me when I was first saved. I remember him, he used to sit over here. Uh, he's changed. <laughs> you know. But he used to say, oh, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, when I wasn't saved for very long, when I came to Boulevard Bible Chapel, and he invited me over to his house one night, and he treated me with respect and kindness and love and friendship. And at that time, I did not really feel that lovable or that anybody would really want to show me any kindness or to treat me with respect, but he did. He told me today, he says, you know, Tim, I, I couldn't remember you exactly when I first saw you. He says, I, I've got a little trouble with my memory. And I looked at him and I said, don't worry, I won't forget you. <laughs> I won't forget the kindness you showed to me. I won't forget it. I hope I won't forget God doesn't forget those things. God doesn't forget. Anyways, I was very happy to see him uh, today and uh, very happy to be with you. I know that our time moves relatively quickly. I think I'm 12 o'clock is my 12.15. Okay, very good. You know, we used to ask that question, how much time do I have? And there's always, you know, well, you can take as much time as you want, but we leave at 12. You know, <laughs> Right? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking today that you'll be gracious and be patient with me. So Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 through uh, 23 uh, is called the parable of the sower. So before, without any further ado then, if I could have a volunteer who would be so kind, maybe a young man under the age of 40 would stand and with a nice, loud, uh, strong voice read verses 1 through 23. 1 through 23. 
You're, you're not 40. Not quite. Listen, you're, you're in it. One to twenty-three. Nice loud voice. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Uh, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded the crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what, has, what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Amen. God does bless the reading of his word. I would like to add a couple of verses. If I could have another volunteer uh, stand up and read Jonah 2.8. And the young man, well, when I mean young, I do mean actually, you know, younger than sixty. Younger than me. If I could have somebody stand and read Jonah 2.8. Jonah 2.8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Somebody read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. Isaiah chapter 6, 8 through 11. 
I have two reasons for asking for volunteers. One is I'm having difficulty reading lately. The other is I like a participatory kind of a learning setting. Go for it. Oh, there you go. shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with his, their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are wet waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. Thank you. So we have the parable of the sower uh, before us. Just a, a way to kind of break the chapter down a little bit. We have verses 1 to 2 showing that Christ left the house. As some would say it was Peter's house. Some would say, I don't think it's necessarily important. I think that it's just important to know that he left. The, he wasn't teaching inside the house. He went outside of the house and he sat by what? A pond? What did he sat by? A lake. And people started to come around him. And then he did what? Got into a boat. And pushed out over the water a little bit. And just imagine, if you would, in your minds, the scene. He's in a boat, speaking to a multitude of people. How many people are a multitude? A lot, right? It isn't like, you know, 50 or 60 or 100 or, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm sitting here before, uh, let me, let me just count you all up quickly. 70 people and I have a, a microphone. And PA and all kinds of things. And yet the Lord Jesus in this uniquely situated location on a boat speaking to perhaps thousands of people. And because of this situation, because where he was situated geographically, because of the terrain, because of the water, because of all of these other things, his voice was able to carry so that all could hear. He shares with them the parable of the sower. Now, for those people in that day, the parable of the sower, they would have understood the players. A sower went out to sow. See, some of us, I mean, when I first heard it, if I wasn't reading it, I would think, you know, the sower went out to sow. He sowed a pair of pants under the tree. But that's not the story, right? The sower went out to sow, and he went out to sow Seed. And so in their minds, it evoked a picture. Because that's a good way to teach people, to get them to connect to what it is that you're saying, to connect them to the idea. So you're conveying something. And in their minds, it's evoking a picture. And they've actually got it in their head to see. Somebody's out there tossing some seed. They're out there spreading the seed. And in their mind, they're seeing a very natural thing that they understood. They understood it. Even if they were fishermen, they understood it. You and I today, we have trouble understanding where our food comes from. We think it comes from Publix. <laughs> we, we, we think that it, that it maybe is brought on, you know, starts on a delivery truck. You know, all of these. So, so actually, farmers farm. They actually have to toil in the soil. They have to sweat. All of those things they need to do. Now, so it was natural for them. They could understand immediately what the picture was. 
Now the difficulty with them lies in the fact that they had to make some spiritual applications to what he was saying. And so that was the challenge to them. Some things are rather enigmatic, we read in the Bible. And that big word means mysterious, right? Some things are mysterious in the Bible. We don't really know why it was said the way it was said. And, you know, it, it causes us to have to think, maybe look a little deeper and study a little harder or ask somebody for help. But in the parable of the sower, he gives us the key. He tells us what it means. He tells us all the different players. He tells us about the various people that he met when he was talking about the soil, what kind of people they were. He, he kind of explains it to us. So there's no reason we shouldn't understand it. But he explains it. And he explains the parable of the sower in such a way that they should have understood perfectly. But the disciples themselves, they had to ask a question and say, why are you teaching in parables? Why don't you just come right out and say it? And he explained to them that this is a problem that they have. They've got a problem because they have heard the word of God for years and years and years. And it has gone in one ear and out the other. One ear and out the other. They listened. Some of them were saying amen. In one ear and out the other. They did not regard the Word of God. They, they enjoyed it, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it was a great presentation. The scenery was beautiful. It was probably a nice day. I don't know if anybody had mittens or hats on. I, I think they were relatively comfortable. And they were at ease as they listened to the Lord Jesus speak. One ear and out the other. I wonder if we have that risk. Are, are we in danger of doing the same thing? getting into the same mode as them. And it's not that we don't want to hear the Word of God. We do want to hear the Word of God. But we don't maybe sometimes think what that Word is actually telling us to do. I I listened to my brother talk about this novel idea of his wife having an expectation of him as a husband. I'm sure the majority of husbands here today were like, wow, (laughs) yeah, that's weird. Well, God has expectations too, right? I mean, He is a person. He has expectations too. And just like our brother said, I'm failed, I'm flawed, I'm not exactly living up to all the expectations that are placed upon me. We're in the same boat. In our relationship to God, we are in the same boat. We don't live up to His expectations. And yet He is patient and merciful and kind. Did I mention patient? Mm-hmm. God is patient. He is merciful. And He is kind. But I want to throw this out for you to think about. 
Is there ever a time, wives, where you get tired of telling your husband about all the expectations you have of him and eventually throw up your hands and say, forget it. He's never going to get it. There are times when God, too, will throw up his hands say they're never going to get it. That's what Isaiah was talking about. We have a responsibility to respond to the Word of God. Do you know, you and I who sit underneath the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, we, we are going to be held to a higher standard than those who have never, rarely, or only occasionally heard the Word. You hear the Word of God regularly. Or am I, am I wrong? You hear it, right? Yes? Please stay with me. I'm trying to go slow. <laughs> we regularly hear the Word of God. We're, we're immersed in it. My goodness, if there's a country we live in where you can hear the Word of God continuously, it's the United States of America. I want to tell you there is no reason for you to be ignorant of the Word of God. And there is no reason for you not to respond to the Word of God. Some of you before coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you lived in the world. And you know the world had an expectation of you. And I want to say, when I lived in the world, the world's expectation of me, I tried to live to, up to it to the fullest. Talk about selfishness. There was no one more selfish than me. But you know, coming to the Lord Jesus, He has a different expectation, right? No longer are you to be selfish. No longer are you to be self-centered. No longer are you to just care about what happens to you. But we're to look at other, to help them to get what they might need. Yes? Yeah. I think that's what the expectation is. If I'm wrong, correct me. But I believe the Lord Jesus said something like, we're to look out for the things of other people as well. Particularly in the house of God. Right? Very good. Okay. So, we're going to look at some subjects here. The faithfulness of God. The human heart. Human heart. Troubling. Troubling. The judicial consequences of rejecting God's word. There are consequences. We used to sing a hymn here, Swing the heart doors widely open. Bid him enter. Here's the scary part. While you may. Who knows when that door is? Do you hear it? It might be creaking closed right now. And you have neglected and have not responded to the word of God. Not just for a month. Not just for a a year. Years and years. (laughs) He has been pleading with you. Come to me. Come to me. Please come to me. Or was it just me? Was he, was I the only one he pleaded to? Or did he please, or does he plead to you also? He pleads. Come. You know, we read that verse from Jonah 2.8. You, you know, God is merciful. 
And if you come to Him, I don't care how battered up you are. I don't care how immersed in sin your life has been. I don't care what condition you are in. If you come to God, if you respond to the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you come to Him, He will not reject you. As smelly as you might be. And as stinky as you might be. I want you to think of the prodigal son for a minute who was out there in the pig pens eating the pig food. And he came to his mind, his senses one day, and he said, why am I living like this? I'll go back to my father's house. I'll be a servant in my father's house. I'll go there. And, 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 and at least I can just be, you know, somebody there that can eat some human food. And he got up and he went. And you know, his father, interestingly enough, probably always kept his eye toward the direction of where his son would possibly come from. And he sees him coming from a long way off. Boom! Up off his feet. Runs to his son. Throws his arms around him. Kisses his neck. My son! Imagine the state that boy was in. If he wasn't eaten, do you think he was taking baths? You think he was combing his hair, brushing his teeth? Do you think his personal hygiene was up to standard? If we could imagine ourselves in that state as we're far from God, and we imagine the father of the prodigal son as being God, and when he saw his son coming to it, he didn't wait for his son to get all the way to it. He ran after him. (laughs) I've had that experience. I know what it's like to be stinky. I know what it's like to be unlovable. But the amazing thing is, as unlovable, God loved me. Did you know that He sent His only begotten Son into the world? That whosoever would believe on Him should not perish. That's right. Beautiful. You got it have everlasting life. And that He did for me. Do you know the cares of this world? We'll take a look at that as well today as the Lord leads. Hopefully we'll get to it. Sometimes I get talking and I never get to where I was expecting or wanting to go, but hopefully we'll be able to get there. We want to understand our responsibility to respond to God's Word, to learn the consequences of failing to respond. And there are rewards to responding. How many of you go to work in the morning not expecting a paycheck? Oh, no. If we didn't get the paycheck, I don't think we'd be going. We endure work because we want the paycheck. Well, God is not unreasonable. He knows that the things you do for Him, He, he doesn't forget those things. He doesn't overlook it. Well, yeah, He owes that to me. Of course He should do that. This is true, but that's not the way he responds to you. I think it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says something like that. Whoever comes to God must believe that he, what? Is, but there's a little conjunction in there. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That was close, though. Diligently seek him. God wants to give you good things. And He wants you to diligently seek Him. There are rewards to responding to God 
appropriately. Uh, to his word appropriately. Well, as we mentioned, or as we read early, earlier on, the Lord Jesus got into a boat, he pushed out from the boat, and he was there speaking to all of the people, as many as were there, a multitude, says the word of God, and he did it. This scene, if you could, in your own minds, I'm sure it evokes even a picture, apart from the parable that he was, I'm sure even that, there's some picture that comes into your mind. Is there anyone here who's never been on a boat? Oh, you've probably all been on a boat. You've been on a boat, you've looked to the shore, you know. We've been there. It evokes a picture. Something comes to our mind. You know, that's why the Word of God, you know, it says, it's its own witness of its own Word, the Word of God says that it is a living thing. And so you can't necessarily imbibe the Word of God to take in the Word of God, to receive the Word of God and have it not do something. It's going to do something. So he says the Lord Jesus got into a boat and he pushed out from the boat because there was a multitude of people on the shore. And the Lord Jesus, as he's teaching them the parable of the sower, he has in his mind, I believe, the idea that they have heard the direct talk from Moses for many, many years. And they have disregarded it. And now he's, he's trying something new with them. He's going to speak to them in a parable. Although parables were not necessarily new. But the Lord Jesus is trying something new for them. He's giving them the parable. He's teaching them in a parable. Because he wants them to consider natural things and apply spiritual meaning to them. God teaches us through many different ways. It's not only his word that he teaches us. Is that right? Am I right? I'm not off track there, am I? God uses more than His Word to teach us. Do you know, not only do men learn things when they get married, but their wives actually learn things too. You see, God said that it's not good for a man to be alone. And He designed man to need his wife. Amen? Okay. Anybody here don't need their wife? God designed, God designed man to need his wife. He he built something into us. And she goes about just being herself, and she is going to teach you a lot about who you are. Before you got married, you probably thought you were a pretty good guy. All the people liked you. But she showed you a unique side of yourself that perhaps had gone unnoticed by you in the past. Your wife is a very good teacher to you. She teaches you things you never wanted to learn. But if you will stop talking and stop arguing with her for a little bit, you might actually appreciate that it is In fact, God's way of teaching you how to be a man. How to be a father. How to be a leader. Now, it's not as if she has some book planned in her mind there where she's flipping through the pages, you know, do this, do that, do the other. No, she's just being a woman. And the problem is you're just being a man. 
It's a relationship. It, it, it's, it's the plus and minus. It's, it's the counterpart. And how God designed it in such a way that not only would man be developed by it, not only would he be matured by it, not only would that take place, but you know what? She's going to learn things about herself too. I thought I had patience till I married that man. (laughs) It's a unique design. God teaches us through our personal relationships. Now, it's fun to talk about husbands and wives, but personal relationships we have with our boss at work too. Personal relationships we have with our peers at work. Personal relationships we have with our schoolmates. Whatever, whatever situation you're currently in, there are other people in your life that God is using to reveal something about you. It's not always the other person's problem. Boy, if that person would just change, all these problems would go away. No. 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 Perhaps, perhaps, be it far from me to make any sort of suggestion that this is true, but I, I think, at least with myself, it might be true. I might have the problem. And that I might need to change. I might need to change my attitude, my behavior. So God is sharing with them this parable on the shore and in effect, He wants them to hear the parable. He wants them to relate it to the natural things and then He wants them to apply spiritual ideas to it. He wants them to see that they in fact might be the path. They might be the rocky soil. They might be the briars. And then again, they might be the good soil. But they were supposed to be thinking, what am I? Have I heard the word of God and have I responded to it? Is there fruit in my life? Am I producing anything? Do you know I came to know the Lord Jesus because of Luke chapter 13? Now, some of you may immediately know what Luke chapter 13 is about. It's about the barren tree. For many years of my life, I said, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Because when I was a young man, I made a profession of faith. But 24 years later, when I was 37 years old, I went to church one day because life was bad. And I thought, maybe, maybe I should go back. Because I had wandered. And I went back to church and I heard a Korean preacher of all places in upstate New York, a Korean preacher, he preaches this. He says, you know, that barren tree, the one who owned the tree, the one who had been preserving and protecting that tree for many, many years went to find some fruit on it. In marvel of marvels, there was no fruit on the tree. And so the one who owned the tree said to the one who kept the tree, cut it down, burn it. What good is it? It doesn't produce fruit. Highly offended, I left that day. What does he mean calling me a barren tree? But you know, the words kept in my head all the time, round and round and round. It was torture. I thought, I'll never go back there again. But I did. I went back the next week. And he preached on John 15. I'm the true vine. 
And I listened to the words that he said, all who abide in me will bear what? Fruit. But if you don't abide in me, what will you do? Nothing. Nothing. I realized that Christ was not living in me and that I was not living in Christ because I was not producing fruit. Oh, well, there were a few sour apples here and there. But I wasn't producing fruit. I wasn't fruitful. And you know, God has an expectation to reap a harvest. He, it is right for Him to want something from you. Many times we get on this kick where we say, you know, I can come to God and I don't need to do anything and I can read. I, I know what that means. I understand that salvation is a free gift. But I don't know any of you in your lives have ever received a gift without taking it. It's hard to take a gift. It's hard to receive a gift without taking it. Yes? I mean, if I held out a gift to you and said, hey, here's your gift, you would have to get up out of your seat, walk over to me, pick it up and take it. Not only that, but as you are in Christ and He in you, how would it be possible for you not to bear fruit? He looked at that multitude of people surrounding the lake, the multitude of people there, and He was assessing them. And He told them, here's the various kinds of soil and they could be likened to one type of you who have continuously heard the word of God and you have rejected. Those of you who have received the word of God and you liked it, but the cares of this world came and choked it right out from you. What are the cares of this world anyways? Can the cares of this world actually be a good thing sometimes? Well, you know, in this world we have a lot of things that we have to do, right? I mean, men, you're married. You better take care of your wife financially. Is there anybody that disagrees with that? I mean, I don't know. But I think that's appropriate. If men are going to be married, they need to take care of their wives financially. Right? Am I, am I wrong? Help me. I'm feeling alone now. Am I talking to you? <laughs> that's a care of this world, isn't it? I mean, you have to care about something like that. You can't just throw it off. You need to be concerned with it. But you can't be concerned about that only. You can't allow that to consume you. How about your health? Can that be a care of this world? When I was younger, I look at some of you young, strong, brave men. Man, man, do I remember those days. But now I worry about my health. Oh. Funny movement in my chest. Oh, I feel a little dizzy. Cares of this world. But we can't allow it to choke out what God is doing in our lives. We can't allow it to be consuming to the point where all everything else is excluded. You know, the cares of this world can take your heart away from God. 
It takes discipline of mind to say, no, I won't be carried away. No, I won't be taken away. We have a relationship with God, yes? Yes? And just like you have personal relationships, sometimes the relationship can be at a peak where everything is cool. Everything is fine. But then things can happen where the relationship starts to slide a little bit. Has anyone had a relationship ever fall to pieces? You were brave enough to raise your hand, but there's not one person in here who hasn't had a relationship fall to pieces on them. We all struggle with that. Cares of this world. But when our relationship with the Lord Jesus, when we struggle with the Lord with our with our relationship, when we feel that distance between ourselves and the Lord, that is a time we need to understand it's not his problem. It's mine. He will help me. When I was in Korea, I was so occupied with the things that the Lord had given me to do that I didn't take care of my health. That's not good either. Was I doing something bad? No. But not taking care of myself wasn't good. Anyways, some things, the cares of this world, can be negative. But other times, the cares of this world are those naturally occurring things in our life that we have to deal with. We have to put them in their proper priority. And you know, God is great at helping us figure out what our priorities are. And sometimes He uses these things, even our health. It's a wake-up call. Get your head on straight, buddy. Just because you paint S on your chest doesn't mean you're Superman. Time to slow down. Even the Lord, he said to his disciples, come apart and rest a while. My father jokingly used to say, come apart and rest or you will come apart. While in Korea, thinking I was doing bang up business over there, my, my health was deteriorating. And even though I had several strokes, I kept saying to myself, I'll get over this. You know, some things you can't get over. You got to deal with it. I wish I could have just continued to ignore it and all would be well. But I've lost about 75% of my vision. They did an MRI on me and they said, I've never seen anyone that's had so many neurological episodes walking and talking. Up until that time, I wasn't really scared. It didn't really frighten me. I lose a little vision here, lose a little vision there. Keep going. All will be well. He pointed out on the MRI the extent of the brain damage. He says, if it had gone this much farther, he said, you wouldn't be able to walk or talk or even think. You think he got my attention? You see... And I'm sure most of, most of you guys around my age, you, you know, we've got a whole lot less in front of us that, than what's behind us. 
So the inevitable thing is death, right? We, we're going we're gonna to take this tent, we're going to fold it up one day, and we're going to be done with it. And that shouldn't terrorize us. Because we know where we're going. But when somebody tells you, if this had happened, you wouldn't be able to walk or talk or think. That's frightening. Lord, don't let that happen to me. Maybe death, okay, but not that. So, I got off on that for a point. And here's the point. Even that we can't let it consume us. We have to continue on. But we have to take care of ourselves. We have to be aware that we're not super beings. We're just regular men. We're flesh and blood. Things happen. The sower, he goes out to sow. It evokes that picture in their mind. They're seeing it. But you know what? It's not really resonating with them because they have heard the same stories over and over and over again. The sower, oh yeah, I get it. I understand it. Yeah, yeah, he went out to sow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. In one ear and out the other. But you know, he said something interesting. He said, some, it falls into good soil. And there's something that happens. It produces a hundredfold. Sixty, thirty. Now, it's interesting. It's not like one seed goes in the ground and then it's 100 or 60 or 30 times that one seed. It's a hundredfold. I mean, think about an apple tree. If you plant an apple tree, you put an apple seed in the ground, it's not like you're growing apples out of the ground. You're growing a what? An apple tree. And apple trees produce apples, right? And they produce more than one apple. Have you ever gone and looked at an apple tree? I mean, my goodness, how about an orange tree? Laden down with oranges, right? One little seed. Some 60, some 30. The expectation is, while God is sowing, while, while seed is falling into the ground, there is an expectation that there will be some reward. He will be able to harvest. What is it the Lord Jesus said? Look unto the fields, they are white and ready to harvest. He expects a harvest. He's not sowing with, ah, you know, I really like sowing, you know. Hey, no, it's got a purpose. There's a reason for it. I'm not going to get into the various types of soils here, but let me just quickly in the next, in the closing minutes, just uh, kind of sum up a little bit about what's going on here with the parable. And the thing that is impressing on my mind and on my heart as I'm speaking to you you know, can I let you in on a little secret? Sometimes when I stand before the people of God, I know exactly what I'm going to say. How many times do you think I've ever said exactly what I know I'm going to say? Zero. Parables evoke those mental pictures I talked to you about. We learn by building upon past experiences. That's the, there are a variety of ways in which we learn. There are certain theories called constructivism and things like that. All of those things have a little bit of light. But it is true that we build upon 
our past experiences. And that's what he was doing here today. He was trying to relate to these people. He was trying to get them to hear and to understand. He was trying to get them to think about who they are. He was trying to get them finally to put the spiritual application to it and realize, I don't want to be the rocky soil. I don't want to be a place where the briars are growing up. I want to be the good soil because I know that God is good and He is planting good seed. And I want to be the good soil that falls into me and that I produce something for God Almighty. This type of parable that, that he is using, this method of teaching that he is using, it can reach the youngest and the oldest at some level. It's intended to reach as many as possible at some level. You know, the Lord, he says, some 100, some 60, some 30. You know, not, of us are, not all of us are the same way, you know, have the same gift or the same strength. But you know, God can make a lot out of a little. I share this other thought with you. I know you might be getting tired in your seats. I share this last thought. You know, when God created Adam in the garden, he created a lot of different trees that had what? What what were the trees? Were they just aesthetically pleasing or did... Fruit! How did Adam get the fruit? How did he get it? He had to pick the fruit. He had to go up to the tree... He had to see, oh, that's a good looking piece of fruit. And he had to take the fruit and he actually, I know this, unbelievable. He actually had to eat it himself. Did you know that God did not come down and put the little grapes in his mouth? I know. These are novel ideas. These are novel thoughts. And it is the same way in our sense. As this picture is trying to relate to, this parable is trying to teach us, we simply cannot just let things Oh, the word of God hits you, boom, it bounces right off, boom, bounces right off, boom, bounces right off. No, when we receive it, we have to do something with it. God gave Adam the fruit in the garden, but he didn't take it off the tree and feed it to him. See, we actually have to do something with the word of God. We can't just do nothing with it and expect for something to happen. Is there anybody here that would deny their personal responsibility to learn God's Word? Is there anybody here that doesn't feel that they need to learn God's Word? Or does everyone here understand they have to diligently seek God before they can be rewarded? I'm teachable. If you can tell me ten We don't have to do nothing. God is just going to develop our minds just instantaneously. You don't have to get in the Word and study it. Why are you wasting your time? God's going to do it for you. If there's somebody who can say that to me, you know, I was just simply blown away with these kids. I'm so impressed with them. My ability to recall Scripture is getting worse and worse all the time. And I see these little minds And I don't mean little in the sense of trying to disparage them. I mean little young minds reciting four and five verses. It's incredible to me. It didn't just happen, did it? Moms, dads, you might have even had to spend... I know it's amazing, but you might have actually had to spend time with your kids and work with them a little bit. I heard a father trying to 
throw some cue words in there, you know, trying to help them along. God does the same thing with us. But if they're not trying, they ain't going to learn. And it's the same with us. You got to try. You got to apply yourself. And I want to end this with this thought. We have a responsibility to respond appropriately to the Word of God. It's our responsibility. One day, we are going to stand before Christ Jesus and we're going to have to give an account. Am I right? An account of what? What do I have to give an account of? God, you didn't make me as smart as Joe Blow over there. No. It's not going to work. We're going to have to give an account of what we did with God's Word. What did we do with what we knew? When He called us to whatever it is He's calling to, how did I respond to it? You're going to have to give an account. I'm not saying that to terrify... Well, I am, actually. I am actually telling you that to terrify. I, I want you to be terrified here so that one day standing before the Lord Jesus you can approach Him with boldness. I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to be cocky. That's not what I mean. But I mean to have confidence to know you did what you could. You did all you knew to do. It's important. Unless it's not. If there's anybody here that doesn't think it's important, let me know. Tell me why you don't think it's important. But I think it's important. And as long as I have breath in my lungs, and as long as my fluttering heart continues to flutter, I'm going to encourage every one of you to do your best for Him. What's that hymn? Give of your best to the Master. Is it? Is it? Even in the Old Testament, the principle of the tithe, what was it? They were to give their last 10% or what? First 10%. We were to give the best. They were to give the disease of the what? No, they were to give their best. That's a principle for you and I. What of your time do you give the Lord? Do you give Him the stuff that's remaining at the end of the day when you're half asleep, you're cranky? Or is it the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? And your mind is sharp and clear. Well, he should get the best from us. God help us. Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We know, O oh God, our Father, that our hearts, oftentimes we would desire to give up our best and to do all that we can do. And yet, we feel, O oh God, our Father, sometimes so burdened down with the cares of this world. Sometimes, O oh God, our Father, we just, we just struggle, you know, to just, just to live a life that is, that is uh, acceptable. And yet, O oh God, our Father, we would appeal to you and ask that you would strengthen our hearts and our minds that we might devote the best of our day, the best of our time, the best of our finances, the best that we have, O God, our Father, to You. Help us, O God, our Father, not to become drowsy, not to become sluggish. Help us, O God, our Father, regardless of our age, regardless of where we are in life right now, help us to give our best to You. Dismiss us now with Thy blessing, O God, our Father. In the name of Thy Son, the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.